The word hope is sometimes misunderstood. In our everyday language, the word often has a hint of uncertainty. For example, we may say that we hope for a change in the weather or a visit from a friend. In the language of the gospel, however, the word hope is sure, unwavering, and active. The prophets speak of having a firm hope and a lively hope. Happy is he, said the psalmist, that hath God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That's from Psalm 146.5. With hope, we can find joy in life. We can have patience and bear with afflictions with a firm hope that ye shall one day rest from all your afflictions. These are words from a study guide that we use called the Bible Dictionary, and I love how it perfectly describes the word hope and the meaning of hope. Today's podcast is all about step two and the 12 steps, hope. We're sharing our personal experiences in finding hope in the midst of addiction in our marriage. And if you're trying to find hope for yourself or someone you love, this is how and where you can find it too. Welcome everyone listening. I feel like I need a better opener every time I'm kind of like, how do we start? We just go. You just go. It's kind of awkward. Anyway, it is, we're looking at a new year in a few days, which is always a reflective time and time to look forward to new things. And I was a little bit tempted to talk about goals and resetting or whatever. I felt though that the topic we should talk about, you and I both felt like the topic we should talk about today is hope, which is interesting. Probably it's, so it's the second step in the 12 steps. And it was like maybe my least favorite step when I first did the steps because I just felt very stuck when I started my steps and I didn't have a lot of hope. Ironically, though, I was starting the steps because I was like, I'm going to do steps to fix Neil, which we how'd that go? <laughs> it didn't go way. very well. It didn't go very well when that was my mindset until I really hit this like emotional rock bottom where I said to myself, actually, I'm going to do my steps so that I can survive, so that I can be okay, no matter what happens. That's when the magic really happened for me. But anyway, I would love to start out actually with your experience with step two and with hope and your thoughts leading back to when you kind of started the steps and how you felt about hope. Because I feel like for addicts, a lot of people say that's like, that's kind of the start of every, like that's your where you really take off. Do you agree with that? Yeah, once you can once you can get there, I think initially it was like just having any hope at all was not I think somebody said it in a meeting last night that it's like if I would have if I could have changed on my own, I would have done it. Right. Like you would have done it by now. That was one thing that I thought of. I'm like I've been trying to like stop acting out on addiction my entire life. And so getting to a point where I felt like I was like, man, I've been trying this. It burns out any hope or belief in yourself or in things changing when it's been the same for so long and you've wanted to change it and everything's been on the line and yet you're not changing. It's hard to have that hope. I love, that's why I love the first three steps in particular, but first is, is basically admitting that your life's unmanageable, you're powerless over the addiction. And then step two is where the hope comes in, coming to believe that, hey, maybe there's a being, maybe there's a, a God that can restore me to spiritual health or restore me to sanity because my mm -hmm. life is out of control and I can't, I don't have a handle on this thing. 
that's a beautiful thought. Once you grasp onto that, or once I grasped onto that, like it was kind of like, whoa, okay, maybe it has just been me trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and that's not worked for me. But if I know God who loves me, has a plan for me, created all things, I'm sure if someone who created the earth, someone who knows how to create like at that level can fix me. And through the atonement of Christ, that can happen. And I can be availed that strength, grace, gift to be able to be made whole. So that's really understanding that right. is where it came in. Right. I want to talk about one thing really quickly that also came up last night that I thought was super interesting. Someone was talking about how they have a family member who basically was like, oh, maybe you just try making right just choices. Just try harder. Yeah, yeah, just try harder. Or maybe this person just doesn't want to make good choices. And I used to totally be of that same mindset too, where I would be like, if this is important to you, you would just figure it out. You would just do it right. You would stop doing dumb stuff because Neil would come to me and be sorrowful and I'm so sorry and I'm sorry I hurt you or I'm sorry I lied to you again. And I would be like, the first few times I was like, okay, okay. But after years and years and years, seven years in our relationship of going through that over and over and over and over. I got to a point where I was like, if you actually were sorry, you would just stop. Yeah. No, and, and that I, is I the quote that. unquote normie mentality. And I think what people need to understand is that truly, and this, this resonated with me last night where I heard this person explaining, there are two types of people in this world. And this is very much a chemical makeup. This is just like there are certain people who are prone to anxiety or depression, there are people who are prone to addiction in the same way that there are people who can get a bee sting and it hurts like me when we when I got that bee sting in Cabo. It hurt really bad for an hour and then it was over. And there are people who can die if they get a bee sting and they need life-saving support to save their life if they get just something as little as a bee sting. Same thing for a person that walks into a bar, one person might be able to take a drink or two and leave. But the addict is going to sit down and take one drink and take 15 before they can finally leave. I think that's really important to understand. And I didn't really accept that for a long time. But once I did, I was able to find a lot more compassion. And actually attending the meetings, attending 12-step meetings helped me to do that because I heard other people sharing who weren't emotionally attached to me. And I felt true compassion for them because I could see that they were coming in broken and, and trying and wanting to be better. And they just couldn't do it on their own, which is the whole point of the 12 steps. But what I found too, as a, again, a quote unquote normie, which means someone who is not an addict. And here's the difference too. I think this is a great way to like kind of show the difference between you and me. When I've had surgery, when I've had a C-section, um, knee surgery, whatever, and I am prescribed some kind of a prescription painkiller, I will take that for a day or two. And then I'm just like, oh, like get me off of this as fast as possible. I hate that feeling of feeling like loopy and like kind of buzzed and like I'm not fully coherent. I truly hate that feeling. An addict what do you feel like when you take something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, anything that gets you a head change. Like, basically, I love one of my one of my buddies in the meeting. He just talks about it a lot. He says, 
I just wanted to manage my feelings. Yeah. Like I, I just want to, I just want to feel differently at times where I hate the way that I feel or I hate it's the like way. It's like a checkout that just and is so like anything escape. that can change that yeah. in it, like the 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 coping mechanism that can change that if a substance or an, a behavior or something, then that can become an addiction for that person because mm -hmm. it gives them that that change in their feelings. Yeah. And, and so, that was yeah. that was hard for me though as a spouse of a pornography addict to feel like that was a legitimate thing because I took it personally for so long. Like, oh, I'm not sexy enough or beautiful enough or fulfilling enough or whatever. So you have to go find that somewhere else. When really those addictive behaviors started when you were like a kid, basically. Six, seven was, was your first, first time exposure. That I saw something, yeah. You know, a few years later was when the addictive behavior started happening. That was long before I was ever in the picture and good enough or not good enough. So those addictive patterns became were there. Yeah. We're were ingrained way earlier than our relationship or our marriage. So there is a point to this with hope. I think that for me as a spouse, I went into 12-step meetings and and everything else too. But especially once we started going, once you convinced me to go to ARP with you weekly, at that point, I was so burned out of the idea of recovery. And I used to call it like rah-rah recovery, like everybody get together and like pat each other on the back for like trying one more week and, and hey, it's cool. You slipped. I slipped too. It's fine. We're all in the club together where we tell each other it's fine. Like that's that was my mentality was like, so a bunch of people making bad choices, telling each other it's fine. That was how it felt to me. But I had to do a couple of things. I had to really, truly recognize that addiction is a disease. It is something that plagues certain people and not others. It's basically, somebody called it like an allergy last night. And it's from the big book. And it helps to think of it that way. It helps because then it also makes sense that there's a solution that works. For me, that was like a big step in having hope that, oh, okay, this is this is like the bee sting, and then you have the shot. And it's not a one-shot thing, but it's like there is a solution. There is something that when we started going to 12-step meetings and people were sharing and picking up chips and taking these, these chips that represented a big length of sobriety and a, a big life change in the right direction, there was a little part of me that was like, hmm. Okay, maybe, maybe this could work for us. So I think that's a really, really important element of hope, at least for the spouse of an addict or a loved one of an addict. But for you with hope, I just always find it so fascinating that I feel like that step is so different for someone who is has been struggling their whole life and then they get to step two and they do it, like they really do it with their full heart and then it seems like that's a takeoff point for them. Yeah, I think it can be. A lot of times it's more of a gradual process. And I, I've seen this in myself. I came to step two, I worked through it. And really for me, working the steps is there's a manual, there's reading the information and, and kind of doing the, the homework, so to speak, and answering some questions. And then there's the like application, real life part of it, where I'm carrying these principles into my life each day and trying to apply them to different situations and kind of reframing the way that I see things using gospel principles or the atonement in my life. That's kind of what I did. But, but I think with step two, a lot of people are like, 
man, I'm, it's not like the lights click on suddenly, at least it didn't for me. Like I felt that hope. I'm like, maybe there is like, maybe, maybe I can do this. Like maybe this is, there's something that can be different. Maybe this time can be different. And one of the things that I love is an acronym that I heard from an old timer, an old alcoholic in one of the meetings. He said, it's an acronym for hope, H-O-P-E, hold on pain ends. Or for me, another one that was, was really helpful was hearing other people's experiences. And that's really the acronym that helped me because I'd go to these meetings and I'd see people pick up chips for sobriety or, or celebrate lengths of sobriety. Five years, a couple of my buddies got nine years last night. Yeah. And it just was so incredibly powerful to see that. And I think initially when I walked in, my initial thought was like, oh, these, when I first went to meetings and saw people pick up lengths of time, I was like, oh, these guys are lying. <laughs> like, there's no way. There is no way that if you're in the situation I've been in or you're an addict like me, that you're, you can pull that off. Even 30 days. Even seemed, 30 days. I was like, 30 yeah, days whatever. even seemed just insurmountable to me. Like, okay, sir, but you wait. Did you really? Yeah. Did you and actually like, go 30 eh, days? No way. I remember thinking that. It was so cool to see our two really close friends pick up those nine-year chips. And when you hear their stories, in fact, Jay and Lexi are... They're, they've been on the podcast Yeah, they've before. been on the podcast. You can go back to their episodes way like toward the beginning of when we started podcasting. So it's back in the archives. But their story is crazy gnarly where like, and Jay talks about this at every meeting that he goes to, that Lexi rolled over one day and said to him, he he went to give her a goodnight kiss and she said, I hate you and I want a divorce. And she she meant it. And Lexi is so full of joy and light and happiness. She's like the adult version of Millie. She's just She's like the nicest person. Like always loves so everybody. happy. Yeah. So easy to get along with. So kind. So happy. Truly joyful all the time. But she talked about last night in the meeting too. I meant it when I said, I hate you and I want a divorce. And Jay had like a thousand pill a month habit. And our other friend talked about how he had a $500 a day habit. These were people who were completely like flushing their whole life down the toilet so fast by getting into prescription drug addiction that it was either figure it out or die. We've seen people die from addiction that come to the meetings and they stop coming and then they die. And anyway, it was really, really, it was so cool to see them. But I think sometimes when people don't, they haven't seen that front end of the story it's a little bit hard to believe, okay, but was it really that bad? It seems like, okay, but you're this person that has it all together. And I think what's really, truly remarkable is to watch people come into the meeting just broken and at the absolute rock bottom. And then you watch them do the steps and you watch them actually get their whole life back. And it works every time for people who keep coming and for people who actually do the steps. Yeah. I don't think we know a couple who has gone to... ARP for years, stayed in, worked their program down the steps and not had their whole life turned back around. Yeah. I no, can't think I, of a I couple. really do think it works. If, I don't know. From what I've seen in my life and in the lives of others, like it works every time. But the difference is, and I think a lot of times people will go once or twice or for a month or, or they'll go for a while and not actually do the steps. They'll just kind of come in and share and talk about it, but not do anything. Like, I think it's easy to look at those scenarios. And I've been in this myself, like, oh, I went to that 
a while back and yeah, it didn't really do anything and it didn't really do any, it didn't change anything. My relationship or I've heard it from spouses before like, oh, my husband went to that or he tried that already. It didn't work. He went to that class. Yeah, he went to that. It's yeah. Usually. It's usually like the, it's anytime I hear class, I'm like, ah, maybe this is a it's, not, it's not a class. Yeah. It's way different than a class. A meeting is something totally different, but it works. And that's where the hope is. And I think for me to see people come in and make those changes in their life. And then not only that, like I, I know several people or I'm, I'm friends with several people who are in recovery and sobriety that have had some time away from their addiction and, and are finding hope and healing. And then they go through some seriously challenging stuff, loss of family members, like health problems, financial troubles, like major life issues that I think initially when it hits them and there's a, maybe a part of even people in the meetings, they're like, well, how are they going to handle this with their recovery? Or that's like the first question that comes up is like, man, are they going to, they're going to drink or they're going to go back to their, there's no way that they're going to mm -hmm. get through this without resorting to addiction, but they do. They come to the meeting, they take action and they do the things that they know will help them to stay grounded and stay connected spiritually and they get through it and they make it through. And, and I think I look at people in the meetings that have done that and this is what I had to do when I lost my brother super tragically a, a few years ago and it was in recovery and the first thing that I did is I, after kind of coming back home and everything, funeral was over, I went to a meeting and I shared about it. And I told everyone, I'm like, Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm in a meeting. I'm here. I know the basics of what I need to do to stay in recovery through this. And I leaned on, I leaned on the group. I leaned on obviously on God. That's the first and foremost, but that's the cool thing about it is that's what gives me hope is seeing other people be able to work through it and still yeah. be sober. I remember two different people. I remember the group leader in San Clemente talking about how his son passed away from addiction and that he had been this group leader himself had been this, he always calls himself like a babbling drunk on the streets. I think it actually goes babbling idiot drunk, something like that. It's funny the way he says it, but you can picture it like that. He was just at the depths of despair. Then he did the steps. He went to AA. He turned his life around, ended up getting married and had kids. And one of his kids who, I don't know if he was an adult or a teenager, but He's like in his early 20s, I think, or yeah, a young adult. Passed away from, an, I think it was an accidental overdose, but basically his addiction killed him. And he talked about how he leaned on the steps and he got through that and that he didn't pick up a drink. And I remember hearing that and thinking, seriously? Like how? And I, th I remember thinking too, and this was super early in us going to 12-step back when we were going to San Clemente every week. And I remember thinking, there's no way. If that happened to Neil, it would just take him out. And then I also remember a few years later, we were sitting in a meeting. We had gone to meetings with this couple many times. And then one week, the husband came and his wife had just died. Same thing. Addiction took her life. Sorry, she didn't take her own life. She just died from an overdose. Her addiction killed her. And it was just so raw and heartbreaking. And I remember thinking, oh man, this is going to take him out. And this would for sure take Neil out too. And then he picked up a year chip 
a year later. And I just remember being amazed and thinking, first of all, how did he do that? Second of all, there's no way there's no, and I, I feel bad. I'm sorry to say that I, that was my like level of confidence, um, at the time, but I don't think that you were quite at that, like on your journey of sobriety that you are now. I think that was still in the up and down phase. And yet I think you have provided so much hope to people because you did exactly what you just explained, where when Dave died, you went right in, you talked about it, and then you've continued to pick up chips year after year. And I thought something that this year, when you picked up your five-year chip that our friend who leads the meeting with you pointed out that he was like, kind of thought the same thing when you went through that, like, man, is he going to be able to stay in? And you have. And I think that has provided a lot of hope. And I think sometimes when we share our experiences, we don't realize that we are that same person that someone else was for us. You know what I mean? I think that probably that guy that picked up that one-year chip a year after his wife died, I don't think he has any idea how inspiring that was to me to think, wow, okay, seriously, I'm amazed that you did that. I don't know how you did that. And then there was a little part of me, anytime people would pick up a chip while you were going through those up and down years that would maybe, that I would just think, okay, maybe this actually does, maybe there's something to this. I think it is super helpful to see that. And and I needed to see that. Other people need to see that. For a while, I think I put so much stock in chips. I'm like, oh yeah, like I've got this nice coin collection of like, different lengths of sobriety where I was doing well for a minute and then went out and then started over and did well for a while, you know. So I've got this little coin collection, but I think initially I it's used to, it's, it's really big, <laughs> <laughs> but I, for, after a while I was like, Hey, I'm not even going to take chips anymore. Like, I'm just going to silently know where I'm at. I'm not going to acknowledge it. But then I remember you were saying like, Hey, I need you to, I need to see you yeah. pick these things up. I need to see that. And it's helpful to me. And so I'm like, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up the chips and, and we'll note that. And, and I think that, but the even bigger purpose to me was if you really believe in that system of freely give what's been given, which is something said in the Bible, and then that's also a huge part of 12-step culture and AA culture and ARP culture, it just means that once you have gone a certain length, that you need to also give that same whatever people gave to you that got you there, you need to also be willing to give that to other people who want to get to the spot that you're at. To me, it was so helpful. It was one of the only things that kept me going back was seeing people pick up chips. And there was a little part of me that thought, okay, maybe, like maybe this can work. One thing to note here, like I think that what I've had to do as well is not like that can't be the basis of my faith in the program. Like I can't base it on somebody else's sobriety or success because people are people and especially like they're fallible. They make mistakes. They go, they relapse. Like that's totally real. And so the the program, it, it is, it's a spiritual program. It's based on a higher power. And in ARP, it's Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And so that's first and foremost, and and that's the crux of it. That's what makes it work and why it works perfectly 100% of the time is because it's when done correctly, it's based on the principles of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was perfect. That's where that perfection comes in. People are very imperfect. People struggle, relapse. And so while at the same time, like that has to be the focus, it does help 
and to be in a community and be surrounded by people who are taking it seriously, who are doing the work. And then you're seeing examples of what God can do when we allow him to. Well, and really too, I should mention this. The spirit is the actual teacher. The spirit is the testifier of truth. And that's why when you go to a testimony meeting in our church and you sit through one of those and and you hear people share really powerful experiences and it touches your heart and it strengthens your testimony or your desire to want to come under Christ or to believe in God or to keep holding on when you're feeling really weak. All of those things happen, not because that person is necessarily so awesome, but because the spirit is testifying of the truth that they're sharing. The same thing happens in an ARP meeting. Also, I've tried to just go off of waiting until the Spirit tells me to share in a meeting. And the same thing with a testimony meeting in our church where once a month, it's kind of like, it can be kind of funny, but it's open mic in our church once a month. <laughs> it's not like singing or anything. And you kind of share your singing. feelings about yeah. Christ. and You go up and you share, hopefully, a brief testimony based on things that you believe. And it's been really interesting to me the times that Heavenly Father has, or the Spirit has pushed me and said, okay, now I I need you to get up and share. And every time it's that same, like, kind of my heart starts beating faster. I can just feel it, like, in my chest. I can feel the Spirit saying, okay, I need you to share. And oftentimes I think it, it's not just for the person that needs to hear, but it's also when you share your testimony, it strengthens it. It makes it more real. It, I think there's part of showing God that you're willing to publicly share those things that are in your heart. There's just like part of me that feels like when you do that, it strengthens it. It's almost yeah. like you you have like a tent and then, and you know, like the tent is a good tent, but then when you put the stakes down and you share that it strengthens that, it's like, now I'm really solidifying what's in my heart and and sharing it with others and helping others, Yeah, hearing other people's experiences. No, and I, like and there's an old timer, there's this guy I loved in one of the meetings and an old uh, drug addict and he was just hardcore, kind of a rougher dude, but he would always say at the beginning of the meeting, he'd say, closed mouths don't get fed. Meaning if you're what? not- I thought that was Jay's thing. It's, oh, every everybody thinks everything <laughs> came from Jay. Jay just takes credit for it. It's like that a- That is so funny. I seriously thought he made that It's up. somebody else. Nice. It's from the original meeting. It's, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but no, it's um, closed mouths don't get fed. The, the concept is if you don't open your mouth and share what's going on in your life, honestly, then you, you don't avail yourself an opportunity to feel the spirit, to be strengthened, to be fed spiritually, so to speak. I thought that was an interesting phrase and it took me a while to get it. But then I'm like, man, no, yeah, that makes sense. No wonder I feel strengthened. I feel good. I feel better most, almost every time after sharing my testimony um, in our church, whether it's fast and testimony meeting, which we have once a month or in a meeting sharing and just, and, and, or even just talking to somebody else and having an honest conversation that's faith filled or faith based or has some hope in it of like, Hey, I'm struggling. And, but here's my belief in God. I I know God will help me. I get fed spiritually. There's something I get out of it. And then somebody else gets something. Then, you know, the other person gets something as well. And it's just cool. It's, and it's not anything I do or anybody else does. It's the spirit that highlights things and teaches us as we're sharing. 
Okay. So let's talk about action steps. If you're listening to this, you saw the title and you thought, okay, hope I want to, I need more of that in my life. How do you get it? The Sunday school answers that we hear over and over in church. If you've gone to church before, which is pray, read, show up. That's basically it. So that first step is pray, pray and ask heavenly father, just be honest with him and tell him. I think sometimes or at least for a long time with me, I felt like prayer needed to be this really formal and proper thing. And I feel like my prayers have gotten so much more meaningful as I've just gotten on my knees, tried to really dig deep and think about what I'm grateful for first and acknowledge God in all of the good things in my life. And then just be super honest. Heavenly Father, this is so hard for me right now. Or I have this ache in my heart, or I have pain, or I feel despair, or I am losing hope in whatever situation or circumstance that you're going through. And just pour your heart out to Heavenly Father. He wants to hear it. If you're a parent, you know that you just want to know what's going on in your kid's life. You want to know what they're feeling insecure about, or who they're afraid of, or what they're afraid of, or where they're struggling. You want to hear those things. And even if you kind of are aware of it, you still want to hear from them exactly how they're feeling. And I think Heavenly Father, like that's the first step to just tell him exactly how you're feeling. And then what would you say the next step is? Absolutely. Prayer is kind of the basis of like the medium by which all things happen and that connection is established. And one, a huge part of working the steps or when we say, okay, obviously working implies some sort of action. There's a line here and this is in the action steps in step two. It says, as you write your thoughts, you will receive additional impressions from the spirit. Study prayerfully and the Lord will guide you. The Lord will give you answers to your questions and needs. And for me, oftentimes so much of the step and step work has to do with writing. So Mm -hmm. it's like you're reading, you're studying, you're pondering, you're answering some questions, but then also writing it out. That for me, I really found like some of these, these questions in the manual, like in the work part of it, like are really simple. They seem I'm like, initially I was like, oh, this is kind of cheesy. Like, I don't know. But as I actually humbled myself and, and did it, it was amazing what I would learn or the insights that I would gain. I really felt like the spirit would work with me. And then as I wrote it out, it was, it just was super clear on what happened what I need to do and what things I need to focus on, what insights I get. It all kind of came through as I wrote things down. Yeah, that's really good insight, Neil. I kind of forgot about how, I mean, I didn't forget, but it just wasn't on the forefront of my mind how much writing and journaling there is in step work. But seriously, if you, and I shared this in my share last night, like when I did the steps, I was like, I'm getting full credit for these. I'm not going to like, sort of do them or dip my toes. Like I wanted to fully immerse myself and get the full experience. And I got it a thousand fold back the effort that I put into it. But you're right. A ton of it was writing. And then it talks about in the action, like you said, the action steps, reading and studying too, which is for me, that just unlocks the gateway to communication with heaven. I feel like when I pray and then I read, I either read something that it's like crazy. We're we're talking about biblical and scripture, like hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of years ago, these things that were written by prophets in the scriptures, they 
apply to my life. And either they'll apply exactly and directly, or they will bring things to my mind and understanding that just help me. Even if it's like, it helps me just get through the morning. Scripture study to me is so key and so important to really getting extra strength and help and being able to get through hard things. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the meaning of this step two, hope, come to believe that the power of God can restore you to complete spiritual health. And then you look at the AA step two, which is came to believe that you could be restored to sanity, right? It's something like that. Yeah. I don't have the, mm-hmm. the AA step summarized perfectly, but both things, it's like you're restoring something that God wants you to have in your life. He wants you to have hope and peace. And so I think that when some people feel like hope is lost or I don't know where to get it, that's something that Heavenly Father already bestowed upon you, that you came into life with the light of Christ and with hope. And and think about how, how little kids just assume that things are going to be great, that they're going to have food to eat, that, that they're going to wake up and the sun's going to shine. And they just don't even think about anything different until you go through really hard things in life. And then I think Satan wants you to feel like hope is lost. You're a lost cause. This is never going to get better. Like that is for sure not coming from God. That is coming from Satan. And so I'd love to think about hope being restored or being restored to sanity, that that's something that God gave you that you can, that you can go back to and know that he intends that for you, not for you to feel hopeless. Yeah, absolutely. And and the scripture that's coming to mind, this is from the Book of Mormon. It's in one of my favorite chapters, Moroni 7. But it talks about hope. Like, okay, well, what I've tried hope and maybe in addiction or in recovery, you're like, man, I've put hope in a lot of things. I put hope in therapy. I put hope in other people. I put hope in advice I've gotten or programs or whatever, and nothing's worked. Like, what do I have hope in? And so they answer this question in, in Moroni 741. And what is it that you shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that you shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised to eternal life eternal. And this because of your faith in him, according to the promise, the promise of the atonement of Jesus Christ, what that avails us is that we can overcome sin. And so I think of back to your point about being restored to something and what, what my testimony is and my faith is, and I share this literally every at the end of every share each week when I share is it's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that this can be changed or things, nature can be changed. Um, and that's the great hope of the program. That is the program. I almost hate to use the word program because it's Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and the atonement. And that's how it happens. That is the mechanism of action. It's, it has to be centered on Christ because it's through him that we can be restored to spiritual health or restored, you know, in general, we're going to be resurrected because of Christ. So that's, that's just really stood out to me as we've talked today. I really love this story from Mark or the scripture, Mark 9, 24, straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And if you look at the way the savior worked with people, it was never like a, wow, you're such a loser. Like, how have you lost hope? Or you are so far gone. It was always with love and compassion. And I think if we imagine Jesus being that person for us, reaching out, putting his hand out, saying, I'm right here, I'm right here. You just got to take my hand. Let's do this together. That is where he wants us 
to look. That's what he wants us to lean on. That's, that is why we have a savior is so that we don't have to walk this life alone so that we don't have to feel hopeless. That's what Satan wants. He wants us to feel like we are defeated. All is lost. Nothing will get better. But I love the acronym that you shared in the beginning to hold on pain ends. And, and that is the true promise for everyone in any circumstance that we all have that access to the Savior and the atonement of Jesus Christ and that through him all things will be made whole and made better. Maybe not in this life, but even when things aren't made perfect in this life, that he always grants us that grace to get through whatever we need to in the way that he provides that if we'll just trust him. There's always a way and there's always... His hand is always there, outstretched, being like, okay, or the door. I love the analogy, too, of the door. Like, he's just standing on the other side saying, I'm right here. Just open it. If you are feeling hopeless, I hope that this hope <laughs> that this provided you with some strength and courage to take one step closer to the Savior and know that he's there. And, and surround yourself with people, too, who will lift you up and Go to church, go to a meeting, go somewhere where you can hear other people's experiences that will strengthen you and help you to want to just keep holding on because pain does end. Well, I hope you have a happy new year and that you feel hope and light, a little bit lighter after listening to this and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Music.